This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Have you taken a walk in your local neighborhood business area lately? Before the pandemic, areas known for their great restaurants were thriving. Now there are increasingly more vacant storefronts and for lease signs as restaurant owners face economic hardship related to the pandemic. Toronto City Councilors passed motions this past week to try and help out the industry. But the problem is that the City of Toronto does not have the power to enact any of the measures, which means asking the provincial government to intervene. On Wednesday, councillors moved to cap commissions on food delivery services, which in some cases have been charging restaurants 30% to deliver their food. They also considered an emergency motion to try and reduce exorbitant insurance costs for restaurant owners. On both of these issues, the Premier has called for compassion by both food delivery services and insurance providers to stop gouging and do the right thing. Libby Snymer was joined on Wednesday by City Councillor Michael Ford, who represents Ward 1 Etobicoke North. James Rylette at Restaurants Canada, and Eric Joyle, a partner at Ascari Hospitality Group and co-founder of SaveHospitality.ca. Yeah, about a month ago, uh, when we were trying to um, renew our policy, a broker came back to me and said uh, he was having a really hard time finding us a renewal, that our current company uh, was not going to renew, and that he had um, uh, put the policy out. Uh, and what came back initially was uh, three and a half times the previous insurance rate that I was paying. Uh, and that on the back of the fact that we've been in business for seven years and never had a claim. So it didn't square up to me at all. In terms of the delivery fees, how hard is that hitting you? It's a significant amount. I mean, you know, restaurants in general, you know, sort of have about a 5% profit margin. So if you're if you're getting delivery fees additional that are 30%, uh, up to 30%, uh, it's, it makes it really difficult. And you have to pass that fee on to the consumer to some degree. Uh, and then sometimes it, then you end up pricing yourself out. Um, so those are pretty egregious fees, especially uh, at a time like this. Okay, let's bring in James Rylette. Um James, of these two issues, which ones are more of a threat to your member, your members? Well, I guess it's which one is on fire right now. Um, it's unfortunately uh, we're in a situation where everything is a threat. Um, our industry uh, um, is in a dire situation. In Toronto alone, we've seen almost 950 uh, restaurants close. So it's everything's dire. If, if you have to renew your insurance, it's um, it is your biggest issue. But if you are, are restricted to take out uh, the 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 takeout fees have always been something that we've been fighting against, but it's especially uh, worrisome now when they have no other option. Councillor Ford, you put 
this uh, motion forward. So uh, everybody seems to be on side with it. How long would it take to get it done? Well, hey, Libby and uh, gentlemen, uh, great to be with you guys this afternoon. So, yeah, so look, you know what, exactly what Eric is saying is what we're hearing, uh, what I'm hearing in my uh, community in North Etobicoke, but from from restaurant owners and small business owners from across the city. Um, So, yeah, so this is being tabled to city council today, uh, requesting uh, a cap on the food delivery service uh, commissions that are being charged. Uh, of course, uh, it is within provincial jurisdiction, um, so it will, uh, it, you know, we're calling on the province to uh, look at this, and I know the province uh, has been and been uh, giving out warning shots to the industry, but um, I think we're getting close to a time where uh, action is needed. I think this is already on the provincial government's radar. I've heard it. We've all heard that. Um, you know, the, the premier said yesterday that this is warning number two to these companies. Um, and uh, knowing the premier, he doesn't give too many more warnings. Um, so um, I, I think uh, if, if uh, you know, they don't act, um, we will. Eric, how long can you wait? That's a very good question. Uh, not long. Um, you know, all these changes need to be made and they need to be made, you know, as quickly as possible. Um, so many of people in our industry are bleeding money by the day and hanging on by the day. And, you know, the support mechanisms that the federal government have put in have been very, very helpful. They've not all been perfect, but they've been very, very helpful. Um, but as this continues and these restrictions continue, uh, it puts on a tremendous amount of pressure. Uh, and so the answer is I don't know. Some people I know can't hang on for more than another week or two. Some other people will find a way to hang on, you know, for a couple of months. Uh, but all of us can't hang on forever. That's for sure. Eric Joyal, a partner at Ascari Hospitality Group and co-founder of SaveHospitality.ca. City Councilor Michael Ford, who represents Ward 1, Etobicoke North and James Rylett at Restaurants Canada. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Many Ontario doctors, including regular Fight Back contributor Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, are experiencing challenges in getting the supply of flu shots they need. The situation seems to be somewhat better at pharmacies. There are also flu shot programs being delivered by various public health units, including Toronto's. Jen Baker is a pharmacist and director of pharmacy innovation and professional affairs for Whole Health Pharmacy Partners. She spoke with Libby about the challenges around this year's flu vaccine. So pharmacies are uh, struggling with supply, similar to the doctor's offices. We do have a different distribution system. Our flu shots come through the pharmacy wholesalers that deliver our regular medications rather than through um, public health, who distributes to the primary care offices uh, in, in our communities. However, uh, we have heard that um, our allocation, the allocation that was made to pharmacies, um, is likely to be depleted by this coming Thursday. So that means that after that date, there is a chance that pharmacies won't be receiving additional shipments of flu vaccine. So uh, we may be struggling with supply similar to that in uh, the doctor's offices. I know that most pharmacies have only been able to order 40 doses per day at a time. 
And uh, that has caused, uh, you know, some some challenges in booking the number of people who are looking to get their flu shot uh, at this point in the season. So you're saying you won't be able to get any more at all or just that it will be delayed? Uh, we're not sure at this point in time. I believe our wholesalers are expecting one more order to be um, arriving. But uh, currently, pharmacy only receives 20% of Ontario's flu shots. The remaining 80% are distributed uh, through public health and uh, to primary care providers' offices. So we are, uh, as, uh, as a group, as a as pharmacist in Ontario, through our provincial association, we are advocating to have that number increase because we are seeing larger than normal demand for flu shot in pharmacies because of the access and convenience we can uh, provide. So there is a chance that we may receive uh, one more shipment, but after that, it could be that we've exhausted the, the government allocation um, that, that currently exists for pharmacies. Is it possible? I mean, the good news here is that there's unprecedented demand, which I think that's great news. It's a good problem to have, in essence, uh, in that sense, because normally we see lower uptake with flu shots. So that high demand is really a good thing to see for the health of our community. Yep. So that's the good news. But I guess the, the bad news is, did the government underestimate because they ordered something like 700,000 more doses than they had last year? Now, they did increase that um, additional order uh, as we, we got further into um, the COVID pandemic. I know that that order was increased above the 700,000. The exact number at this point escapes me, but it did um, push the additional doses to more than um, a million over what was previously ordered for the 2019 season. So the vaccine is there. Uh, Ultimately, we know that there is more vaccine coming from the manufacturers because it does take time for the manufacturers to not only produce the vaccine, but um, to package it and label it and get it shipped out. Um, so, so those deliveries will still be coming. Uh, we do know that there are additional um, you know, shipments coming. Uh, but our concern as pharmacists is that uh, 20% of the total provincial supply doesn't really reflect um, how many people and what proportion of Ontario's population that pharmacies are vaccinating, especially now that we can offer the high-dose flu shot to seniors. What would you like to leave us with? I just wanted to thank everyone who's been patient with all of your healthcare practitioners in looking for the flu shot. We know it's been more challenging this year and more frustrating. Um, we are all working together to get everyone immunized against the flu And we just wanted to thank everyone for their patience with us as we try to get everyone immunized as quickly as possible. Um, Definitely call your pharmacy to ask about the availability and uh, we'll keep you updated as the situation um, changes uh, day to day. Pharmacist Jen Baker, Director of Pharmacy Innovation and Professional Affairs for Whole Health Pharmacy Partners. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, having a stroke? Call 911 ASAP. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Strokes are the third leading cause of early death in Canada. 
for the survivors. There are about 750,000 of them in this country. The effects can be devastating. A full recovery is possible, but only if a patient acts quickly. So it's crucial for all of us to recognize the signs of stroke. The acronym is FAST. F stands for face. Is it drooping? A for arms. Can you raise both? S for speech. Is it slurred or jumbled? And T for time to call 911 right away. On Thursday, World Stroke Day, Libby Snymer spoke with Dr. Atif Zafar, director of the Comprehensive Stroke Program at St. Michael's Hospital, Dr. Mark Bailey, medical director of Toronto Rehab, and physiatrist-in-chief at University Health Network, and Evelyn Greenberg, a stroke survivor who shared her story with us. I'm one of the lucky ones, Libby. Two years ago, I was 81 and in good health, just uh, regular blood pressure and cholesterol medication. And I was walking towards my car in the garage, and as you said, fast, my face drooped. There was saliva dripping down my chin, and I wanted to say, oh, there's something wrong here. And it came out, and I thought to myself, thank God I had my cognition. I said, I'm having a stroke, and I picked up my phone and phone 911, and I said, having a stroke, and I gave my address, and they try to engage you in conversation, and I said, no talking, just come. And within an hour, I had been at the Civic campus of the Ottawa Hospital, and the team was there. So right you are, face, arm, speech, and the T for time. Don't call your boyfriend. Don't call your son. Don't call your best friend. Call 911 so that a team is waiting when you arrive. And within an hour, I had the CT scan and the TPA, the anti-stroking drug. And uh, I'm a pianist, Libby, and doctors. And I was concerned, will I be able to play the piano? Two days later, I was playing the piano, and I haven't stopped since. Let's bring in the doctors, uh, starting with Dr. Bailey. What are the risk factors for stroke? So uh, people are at risk if they have uh, high blood pressure is the key risk that people have. We also know that if they are uh, overweight and have diabetes, this is also a risk factor. People who don't use, who don't exercise pro- uh, enough are also at high risk, and uh, we know that it's also associated with heart disease. So people who have pre-existing heart disease uh, are the key people who are at risk of stroke. Doctor Zoffer. You have to get to the hospital on time. Tell me what happens when you get to the hospital, and and what's the window, really? How much time do you have? Great question, Libby. So one thing is that every 30 minutes in our state in Ontario, we have one patient having a stroke. Um, Only 14% of the patients, so one in 100, end up coming in a timely way. Now, what happens is that when, as Evelyn said, you know, 911 is called, Uh, the ambulance and the EMS staff is trying to get the patient. They also alert us, the hospital side, where we are getting ready. They come in, they get some imaging. Within four and a half hours, we can give them the clot-busting medication, TPA, that Evelyn said he received. We, We offer treatment in patients who have a larger stroke to up to 24 hours after the onset. However, most of the patients, when they're coming in, need to know that every single minute 
when we are wasting it, we're losing 2 million neurons in our brain. So time is of essence in stroke. And obviously, there are many other things happening alongside, you know, acute emergent uh, things to provide stability to the blood pressure and, and other issues that are actively going on. Dr. Bailey, I will give you the last word. We have actually been affected by the COVID pandemic in the rehabilitation field. And, uh, you know, it's been challenging to provide the rehabilitation that people need. Um, we were obviously concerned about people uh, spreading within the hospital or uh, also spreading as they go out to their homes and come back for therapy. So one of the things that we've been really rapidly trying to pivot towards is providing virtual rehab or tele-rehab using video conferencing and other things which I think will be the care of the future. I guess if there's one silver lining to the pandemic, we've really quickly been able to provide people with service, some service in their homes. And so I think that's an exciting development that will continue to develop how we can get the equipment into people's homes and use monitoring equipment such as Fitbits and other things like that that can really help us to do really evidence-based rehab in the community. So, um, you know, it has been extremely disruptive um, and we... Uh, are trying to meet the needs of people um, who can't travel as easily. So thanks for the opportunity to speak about that. Dr. Mark Bailey, Medical Director of Toronto Rehab and Physiatrist-in-Chief at University Health Network. Dr. Atif Zafar, Director of the Comprehensive Stroke Program at St. Michael's Hospital. And stroke survivor, Evelyn Greenberg. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Thursday, Fight Back revisited an old story that is still costing all of us at the worst possible time. It involves the TTC and that big fraud scheme that was caught five years ago and bilked the Employment Benefits Program for millions of dollars. 700 of the agency's employees were found to be ripping off the TTC to the tune of nearly $7 million through fake insurance claims. About 200 of them have been fired. TTC management offered the amalgamated Transit Union Local 113 a deal that would have seen hundreds of employees who participated in the scandal keep their jobs. But there was no cooperation on this, so both parties are entangled in a years-long legal battle that is costing even more in public money. Joining Libby to discuss why this is still playing out, lawyer Muniza Sheikh, a partner with Levitt LLP, and TTC spokesperson Stuart Green. Our interests all along, uh, dating back to 2015, were to settle this uh, and, and to avoid this, this lengthy, uh, what we knew at the time was going to be a lengthy uh, arbitration process and, and a costly one, frankly. Um, so, uh, you know, as you point out, you know, we, we had a deal offered uh, whereby, you know, uh, employees who engaged in fraud of less than $5,000 would, uh, would, would be able to, um, pay us back. There would be a 10 day suspension served, a number of things that would have avoided us getting, going down this road. Um, it also would have prevented, uh, you know, one of our bigger challenges would have been, you know, letting that many people go because obviously defrauding the company is, is an immediately fireable offense. Um, but but letting that many people go and you know could could have created problems for us from an operational perspective. So just for a whole bunch of reasons, it made a lot of sense to us uh, to to get a resolution that would allow us to get 
get paid back, uh, met out some punishment to those who engaged in this, uh, and carry on our business. Uh, and ultimately, um, for reasons that, uh, that I'm unable to explain, the union rejected that offer. Um, Let me, so what did they say to you? I mean, it sounds very generous to me. I mean, $5,000 defrauding your employer for $5,000, it sounds serious to me. And being allowed to keep your job, well, that sounds uh, extremely generous. Well, and and in fact, you know, the arbitration rulings that we've already had in this regard have have made note of that. Uh, and and if 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 arbitrators' rulings could could shake their head or roll their eyes, um, I, I'm sure that uh, that we would see <laughs> we would see both of those things happening in in what we read because uh, that they are completely baffled by the refusal to accept that deal as well. Let us bring in lawyer Muniza Sheikh. You rob the company, and you have an offer to keep your job, and and it's not good enough. It's baffling, quite frankly, and this is certainly a view that I've expressed earlier. Now, I should probably, uh, you know, mention to your, your uh, to your listeners, I should say, that um, I am not uh, the employment lawyer on the management side that's involved on behalf of TTC. Uh, nonetheless, it doesn't preclude me from having um, some very strong opinions and, uh, you know, a uh, perspective on the case. So I. Absolutely. I mean, if you're in a situation where you've been partaking uh, with respect to benefit fraud, regardless of, you know, the degree of fraud, and I say degree, and I use that term very lightly, because, you know, in the two awards that have been released recently, there was a little discussion, there was some discussion of, you know, knowingly participating in the fraud. And then one gentleman I thought had said uh, that, you know, he knew about some aspects of the fraud, but still took the position that he had been sort of taken by the benefit to, or by the provider, I should say. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, fraud is fraud. And ultimately, you know, as an arbitrator, what you're looking for is um, a determination as to whether or not the relationship between the employee and the company is salvageable. And in determining whether that relation is salvageable, you look to see whether there's been um, whether there's been a breakdown of trust. And most people can agree, whether or not you're a labor deployment lawyer or someone who's just listening, that where there's been fraud within the company, that breakdown of, there is that breakdown in trust. So, you know, this was a great deal for the employees where, you know, you get to pay back the money that you essentially stole, improper money that you were, you know, you know, improper uh, funds that you were pocketing um, in working with another company that was, you know, really defrauding the provider um, on the back of TTC. Um, so you get to pay that money back, you get a little slap on the wrist, whether that's a suspension or a warning in your file, and you get to stay gainfully employed. So why they would not have um, accepted that really is yet to be determined. And I wonder uh, what role the union would have had in those circumstances. Because remember, ultimately, in accepting a deal or not accepting a deal, the buck stops with the union. Lawyer Muniza Sheikh, a partner with Levitt LLP and TTC spokesperson Stuart Green. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. 
Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Margaret in Niagara Falls phoned to say it was easy to find the flu shot in her area of the province. A week ago on Monday, I stopped at my doctor's who's in a walk-in clinic and just to get my flu shot. And not only did I get my flu shot, I got the pneumonia vaccine at the same time. I was in and out in five minutes. They have plenty down here. My GP's in a walk-in family clinic and it was just walk in and out in five minutes. Maria in Etobicoke also called about getting the flu shot. Two weeks ago, I went to the drugstore and I got my flu shot, but they were out of the high dose. So I asked the druggist, would it be okay to have the regular? She said yes, because the, they had to wait about three weeks to get the high dose. So I think people shouldn't wait for a high dose if they can get the regular one. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Barbara in Etobicoke, who phoned to pass along what her pharmacist told her when she went for her flu shot. I did ask her how the dosages are going. They felt they were going to be out of them. They just gotten them yesterday morning that they would be out of them by uh, yesterday evening. Um, and it was one of the few pharmacies that I, that I had contacted that actually got both of them in. So I ended up getting the high dose one. As it was explained to me, the regular one, um, protects you against four strains. The high dose one protects you against three, but is double intensity. And I had a bit of concern about that, but the pharmacist explained to me that if you have autoimmune disorders. So that could be anything from high blood pressure, kidney disease, even arthritis. They're recommending strongly uh, the high dose one because the A virus is in that particular dosage. And that's the one that apparently has a more significant impact on those that are over 65 and in, in getting ill and recovering from the flu. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at FightBackLibby and have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.